I'm part of the, the technology team. We call it Allianz Technology. Actually, Allianz Technology is the IT team that provides IT services to the business globally in all of the countries. And we provide excellent user experience and industry-leading solutions for our business. If I look at the new business that we are making with our new products, roughly 95% is straight through processing where nobody is involved anymore. So that means if you either buy a product or you also submit a claim, 95% of that is handled without any human being involved anymore. Nothing good happens unless you do it. And that means really execution counts and not the world-best analysis. Sometimes teams fall into this analysis paralysis where they analyze things forever and we still have not implemented something. So please focus on that as well. And I'm pushing that with my leadership style to try to make sure people deliver. This is Siana TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Axel Schell, who is the Chief Technology and Transformation Officer of Allianz Technology. A very warm welcome, Axel. Thank you, Hendrik, for having me. Axel, you have a degree in Business Administration from the University of Augsburg. Uh, you did a PhD in the field of Information Systems and Financial Engineering and then continued uh, doing research in electronic and mobile commerce. You started your own software company in 1997 and you joined Allianz uh, in 2002, first as an IT project manager, and then you held several positions, uh, even including sales rep and chief customer officer. So, uh, and prior to becoming CTO of Allianz Technology in 2021, you were also the CEO and president of Allianz Technology in the, in the US, in uh, Silicon Valley, and the CTO of Allianz in Germany. So Axel, tell us a little bit more about uh, yourself. Who are you really, and how did you arrive in this position? Yeah, so if I, when I finished my PhD, I actually thought what would be a good next step. And I was uh, sitting at a lake reading a newspaper and I read something about Allianz and I thought, oh, that's a pretty interesting company. Mm -hmm. Why not apply for a job there and, and learn from, um, from employees there? Allianz is a very well established brand in Germany, in Europe, in the world. So I think it's one of the largest financial services company. So I thought that's a good place to start to learn. Mm -hmm. And this is why I applied for it. And they were interested in, in my skills. As you said, I did software development and I started as a program manager. I actually rolled out smart cards for our sales force. Okay. And that was my first project and that got me connected uh, with Allianz. And I still remember the good old times when I introduced myself. I was uh, 27 years, no kids. I was not married and I was just new and everybody had whatever two kids, was already married and long time with the company. And uh, these days, if I introduce myself, <laughs> I do it in the same way. So I'm with a company since 19 years. I have two kids and I'm married. So uh, I become a real, I became a real Allianza. Okay, super. And so... Tell us a little bit more, uh, Allianz. I mean, it's a big brand. You even have your football stadium and everything. So tell us, what is the uh, Allianz uh, group all about? It's insurance, but what is that uh, the company does really, really well? So um, Allianz is, of course, about insurance, about asset management. Um, and we have, of course, the various lines of business. Um, we have the personal lines of business, but also we have industry lines of business. And um, I'm part of the, the technology team, so we call it Allianz Technology. Actually, Allianz Technology is the IT team that provides IT services to the business globally in all of the countries. We operate in 74 countries. 
and we provide excellent user experience and industry-leading solutions for our business and even together with the business in a very integrated setup. So it's not IT and the business, it's really in an integrated way. Okay, super. And we live in special times, right? We have inflation, uh, global uh, instability and so on and so on. Um, so, but in, in your organization, Allianz, what are really the, the main drivers for change today and, and how is business responding to them? So if you look at our company, we are more than 130 years old mm -hmm. and have lots of experience. Of course, we have lots of customers. We have 80 million customers. And you think maybe it's also a regulated industry that there is not so much change and there is no even no radical transformation needed, but, but actually that's not true. Mm -hmm. So if I look at the business, I see that, first of all, the digital channels are significantly growing. They are much more um, important than in the past. People like to buy digital products. Secondly, high customer experience is really the new normal. Mm -hmm. It's not like that people um, like a clunky process or they have want to wait forever for certain things. Things need to be simple and digital and fast. Yep. And then last but not least, we are also um, a competitor um, when it comes to the fast and, and small insurtechs. They come up with new ideas with uh, lean um, ways of operating, everything cloud-based and so on. And that's uh, a, a quite a challenge for a company with a long history. Yep. Um, looking at what we have done in the past and what we are also trying to do in the future, we try to exactly... Um, grow also into that direction mm -hmm. to become really a super modern IT team that supports the business. Okay, and so and so, what's the business strategy to, uh, I mean, you're a huge old company, I can imagine a lot of legacy laying around and so on. So what's the, what's the business strategy around this? So we did actually really lots of transformation already um, quite some years ago. Mm -hmm. So as I said, we have the 130 years history, but if I look back at our current uh, IT landscape, it's it's relatively modern. We will um, talk about later maybe about cloud, what we do there. But, but lots of things have already changed. Our general strategy is simplicity at scale. So there are many products out there. And the more products you have, the more complex things get in the future. So one thing, a key mantra I took away from me is complexity does not scale. Yeah. So if you have something that is complex, you cannot scale it. And our, our business is all around uh, platforms about scaling. Mm -hmm. Um, and therefore, uh, simplicity at scale is for us one of the key business themes. And that means modern IT on the one hand side, but also reducing complexity and getting rid of old systems and also just minimizing the number of systems. Yeah. Now, I know that and we're going to talk about two uh, major programs that you've put together with your teams in place, um, the, the cloud program and then also a very important one, the IT decommissioning uh, program. Can you explain us what was the issue, what was the problem that you had to implement uh, this, uh, this program? Yeah, so IT decommissioning is all about um, the, the multiple applications that have grown over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, we had, for example, five different systems that um, we used to work with brokers okay. and they were grown over time. And as I said, complexity does not scale. So we thought about we need a, a radical change there mm -hmm. um, and we will need some clear, tangible improvements. So what we did is we started to come up with a program. It's actually, I think, one of the largest programs in the financial services industry. It's a 700 million program just alone in Germany to reduce the number of applications. Mm -hmm. And our count here is that we want to reduce uh, the number of applications by 80%. 
um, to bring them down to a significantly lower number and that will have lots of benefits. Mm -hmm. First of all, of course, costs will be significantly lower, but also um, service availability will be better because we will have less technology in place and everything, of course, will be modernized and done in a much better way also to work with those yeah. applications. So less is actually more. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and I can imagine legacy comes with risk, uh, holds you back from innovating and, 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 and really doesn't scale. So tell me a little bit, how was this approached? How the, was the, the, the decommissioning program uh, put in place? So the, the way how it works is um, we, we started, first of all, to find out why are there a couple of applications either overlapping or more or less doing the same thing. I mean, it's not just by accident that this happens. Normally, what you see in the industry is that there are certain functionalities missing. So one application can do A and another application can do B. Therefore, you have two applications, but you need to bring them together if you come from a customer point of view, if you look at user journeys. Mm -hmm. So decommissioning actually has two big components. The first component is reducing the, the number of applications. Mm -hmm. The second one is really using the money to build new functionality into an existing application. I mean, if it was just be switch off an application, it would be easy. You wouldn't need a program for that. The reason why you cannot simply switch off an application is you need the functionality somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need less functionality. Maybe you need a different functionality, but more or less you need to bring the pieces together. So a lot of, quite an amount of money that we spend for decommissioning is also building um, functionality into a new modern system. Um, and that only works together with the business. So it's very clear this is not an IT project. Uh, if you simply want to reduce IT complexity, you will not be um, successful. The way how it works is that business comes up with less products, mm -hmm. less processes, and then you can build a simpler IT platform that serves those. So without the product simplification, Without the process simplification, IT simplification doesn't work. Yeah. So huge budget, 700 million uh, spent on simplifying the business processes and then building the software to, uh, uh, to support these. Can you also talk a little bit about data migration? Is that, is that an important uh, factor in, in a project like that as well? Yes, absolutely. Because of the regulation, we need to keep the, keep the data for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, and what we try to do is actually have a couple of concepts in place. One concept is we still need the data, then we will migrate it. But in other areas, we actually decommission not only the IT, but also the product. One of the key success levers is the number of product generations that you had mm -hmm. or that you have. I mean, in the past, we had product generations N minus 5, 10, 15, so very long lasting products, mm -hmm. lots of tariff generations. And the, the challenge is the following. First of all, if you are a claims handler and you want to find out if the claim covered or not, you need to understand all of the different variants of the product of last year, five years ago, seven years ago. If you go to N minus one or N minus two, it's a lot easier to do. You don't need to know all of the different um, regulations. Secondly, automation is so much easier. I mean, you, you will not be able to migrate or to automate 15 years of different product generations. If there are only one or two, mm -hmm. that works a lot easier. So therefore, a key piece for the data, data migration is really, do I need the data? Yes, no. If I find a way how to bring a new product to the customer, 
in a new way I even don't have to migrate data. Okay, and, and who was who, who is typically involved in, 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 involved in a large program like this? I can imagine that's many, many different groups, both from, from IT and business, right? Yes, and I, as I said, the, the key lever is really, really, sometimes people think IT has to solve this complexity problem mm -hmm. and it will not work like this. So business is key. Coming up with new clever solutions, um, sometimes even more coverage at the beginning sounds strange because if you cover more, it's maybe more expensive for the insurance. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, if you include more, you can have much simpler rules. You can have much simpler products. You can have much simpler claims processes. And in the end, even if you cover more, but you took out complexity, you took out necessary checks if it's covered or not, you will have a much better um, user experience as well, mm -hmm. but also an easier sales process because, because people understand the product much better. Nobody wants to buy an insurance with 20 pages of paper where first you have to, to read through it to understand it. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, all of those components really play into that. And this is not an IT question, how to design the product. IT can support and can more or less make sure what it means if we do it in this way, what it means from an IT cost perspective, but also from automation point of view. And then it's the business to decide. So this is key to work as integrated as possible. Okay. And, and so how do you approach that? You start first in one country and then you expand in the rest of the world. What's, what's the approach there? So, so we, we had a, one of the front runners was uh, the, the German entity, Allianz Germany. Um, the reason why we did that, um, first of all, it's uh, the biggest entity that we have, but also we try to find out what kind of similarities do we have in the various countries. Mm -hmm. If you look at a um, different, uh, at a special kind of insurance product, the question is how much overlap do you have in the various countries? So we started to look at this and we found out at the beginning that everybody thought there is not a lot of overlap. It works, the, the collection reimbursement process works differently in Spain, in Italy, in Germany. If you um, go for a new uh, motor product, uh, the products will be very different. The coverage will be very different. We found out that's not true. So 80 to 90% um, are, were, were similar. So we could say, actually, this is not only a one country thing. This is really Allianz. We call it Allianz customer model. Mm -hmm. This is something that is um, helpful for the entire Allianz group. And that led us into this kind of platform game where we want to say, let's build a common platform that many countries can use and many countries can leverage because there are so many similarities. Yeah. Now, this program was kicked off in, what is it, 2019. Where are you today? What are the results? What can you, uh, can you already show? So we, we are very well on track to deliver what we have promised, mm -hmm. um, and that is reduction of applications. So we are roughly 50% um, uh, reduction, we see roughly 50% reduction of our applications. Um, and we also see savings, of course. So um, we, we will see um, at the end a three-digit number, million uh, reduction of, of savings. Mm -hmm. um, and also from a stability perspective, um, the number of incidents have dropped by 65%. Mm -hmm. So we have much better stability because there are less systems that are coupled and linked to each other and need to interact with each other. And also the voice of the customer service look pretty uh, good. So we see that customers like the simplicity a lot, like, like you, maybe uh, um, like, like myself as well. So nobody likes complex stuff. Okay. Now I learned from um, Manish Gupta, who is, a, who is a top digital leader at Unilever, the concept of the, um, the digital BMI, the body mass index. And he describes it as that how many 
uh, applications have you running by uh, per thousand uh, employees? Is that something that you also use as a, as, as a measurement? We don't have a specific KPI in terms of employees, mm -hmm. but I think what, what we are trying to achieve is really trying to minimize the number of applications as much as possible. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, you will still have local necessities because sometimes the market are different, sometimes the regulation is different. So there are sometimes um, good reasons to have something local. But overall, we believe that with our core insurance platform um, that is built for all lines of business, we can significantly uh, cover a huge scope um, of our business. Okay, let's maybe talk, dive a little bit in the technology of this. What or, or which technologies would you say are key uh, in, in being successful? Because of course, working together with the business and designing uh, simpler products and, and so on and so on, but also technology in the end is important. So what would you say are the key technologies that were made this a success so far? So for us, one of the key challenges as I mentioned is working closely together with a business. Mm -hmm. So we started to build an agile organization uh -huh. and that also led to the point that we wanted to quickly react on changes that we see in the market, come up with new products and new tariffs. And therefore, um, cloud was a key enabler for mm -hmm. us. Um, and it's not only about pricing and about possibilities to interact with the customer, but also speed and velocity of, of the teams to deploy new features and new functionalities. If we just look and compare how long it took in the past to roll out a new product and look at the time that it needs today, it's significantly shorter. We went down from something like 12 months to two months, three months, depending on the product. So there, there is, um, and we can much quicker react. Um, so therefore cloud will be and is a key enabler for our business. You talked about automation. Does that mean that you're also using RPA and software robots to, to do this migration and this change? Can you talk a bit about that? Yes. So if I look at the new business that we are making with our new products, mm -hmm. um, roughly 95% is straight through processing where nobody is involved anymore. So that means if you either buy a product or you also submit a claim, 95% of that is handled without any human being in involved anymore. Mm -hmm. So, uh, of course, and that, that has huge advantages, customer satisfaction, cost, speed. People expect that. I mean, everybody's used to the Amazon way of understanding where the process are. If you submit a claim, you want to understand where is it in the process? Is it checked? Is the money on its way to my bank account? You want to, to be in this kind of situation. And that's what, what only automation will give you. Yeah. But in RPA, is, is, that a, is that the technology that you use? And, and which one are you, uh, are you using there? Which, which vendor? Yes, I mean, we, we use RPAs as well, uh -huh. yes. Um, and it depends a bit on the use case. Sometimes we have manual tasks. For example, if there is a fleet um, and you have to do certain activities um, where just big volumes come in, and in the past that was a manual process, yeah. and now fleet is, is automated uh, with some of the RPA stuff, and it doesn't mean that it's every day everywhere the same, but certain activities have to be done during the year, and this is where we use RPA stuff in, instead of uh, people manually doing that. Um, we more or less try to do it in a way that we try to build automation into the product. Mm -hmm. If a product feature would kill automation, we, we want, don't want to launch it. Yeah. And that's where IT needs to sit at the table and provide feedback to the business. Okay. So that's IT decomm decommissioning, reducing your application BMI and, and making sure that you have um, agility at scale by uh, simplicity at, uh, at scale. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the cloud program uh, as well. What was the the, the burning issue there, uh, and how did you approach that? So 
we have we started with traditional data centers mm -hmm. um, and uh, we looked at what can we do in the future to be more secure, more resilient. How can we deal with all of the sensitive data and uh, maybe counterintuitive at the beginning, but later it was very clear that um, the future is cloud here. Um, it's super efficient and flexible. Uh, we can deal with many of the changes um, and we had less um, error prone activities. Um, changes were much more automated. Um, we didn't have any long lead times for, for server provisioning, getting the right stuff. I mean, availability um, increased from 93% to roughly 99, 99.5. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, a key aspect as well, employees don't want to work with old technologies. So employees love to work also with new technologies mm -hmm. and therefore cloud was a big enabler for us as well to get the right talent in yeah. place. You, you call this program the cloudification program. When, when was the kickoff kicked off? How, how long are you on this, uh, on this journey? So it's, we, we kicked it off in, in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, we decided to come up also with a strategic change. We call it also cloud first. So our IT strategy changed into this direction. Um, we decided to move first our front ends, uh, our front end applications to the cloud. So 100% of the front ends currently run on cloud. Um, and it means whenever a customer uh, gets a quote or something like that, is the, the, the front end, everything is cloud-based. And then we step-by-step step went through the, the back-end tools, the databases, um, and decreased the, the, the footprint. If I, if I look at the, um, the numbers, um, we, we spent a significant amount at the beginning to invest into the technology, into the people, into the skills, but also into the platforms. Mm -hmm. Um, we more or less relied on this kind of, I love it a lot, the, the 6R framework, which is rehost, replatform, repurchase, rearchitect, uh, retire, and retain. Mm -hmm. So we, we categorized our applications into those buckets and then decided what to do with them. Of course, you cannot rearchitect every application, and that is by far too expensive and too slow as well. So you, you choose what to do with it. Um, then you have a proper security concept as well. We also needed the regulatory approval here from BaFin in, in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, we also store our customer data persistently in the cloud. And we were the first insurer in Germany to do that with uh, the, the, the support of uh, the, the regulator as well. And then we, we, we really pushed the cultural shift towards cloud with DevOps, um, upscaling all of the empowerment of the developers, um, that was a key transformation. Okay. And so what is the, what's your platform uh, strategy there? Do you go for, I don't know, Azure only, Amazon only, Google only, or you go for hybrid uh, uh, approach? Yeah. So we call it passive, passive multi-cloud strategy. That means we have two cloud providers. We have everything in place. We run some of the business with one provider, some of the business with the other one. Mm -hmm. We have sometimes a more preferred cloud provider uh, depending on the domain. So we have kind of a domain um, strategy. For example, if we look at data, we have one preferred provider. If we look at um, core insurance applications, we rely on another one. Mm -hmm. And we always have a second provider more or less lined up so that we can migrate if needed um, there as well. This is why we call it passive multi-cloud. It's not active, like you have always two providers, mm -hmm. but you don't need a long time um, to migrate from one provider to the other um, provide a long, long time doesn't mean like an hour or two, can be three months, six months, two weeks, four weeks, really depends on the application. Um, 
And uh, the, the reason why we built in this, because we really want to be as resilient as possible and independent of whatever mm -hmm. changes happen. You just geopolitical risks and everything that are these times much more important. That gives us the, the possibility to um, use that kind of build on that kind of strategy. So Axel, you have a, a passive hybrid cloud strategy uh, where you use different providers and you say some providers are better for suited for one type of applications or domain than others. Which ones are they and, and when do you use which one? So we, we work closely together with uh, Microsoft and with Amazon Web Services. And uh, depending really on the domain, we have um, a preferred setup. We also can play around a bit with the countries. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we have some of our OEs, our operating entities, who are much more into one technology where there's already been lots of experience. People are trained in a certain technology and then they also rely on a provider. So we as an alliance group have the possibility to play a bit around with the volume. Of course, we don't want to be too dependent from one provider. So this kind of mix is, is crucial for us. They also have different benefits, to be honest, in terms of in technology, um, in terms of innovation, um, also in terms of making sure there's a competitive pricing. Mm -hmm. It's good to have uh, both of them. Yeah, but because cloud is not necessarily cheaper yeah, than running your own data centers. We had already many, many discussions in our community uh, around that. So in your experience, have you been able to make cost savings or is, uh, is the cloud more expensive than, than running your own data centers? Yeah. No, we have made cost savings mm -hmm. um, and that was one of the key factors as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you do it in the right way, I just mentioned the 6R strategy, if you balance that properly, um, you should come up with some savings. It also depends a bit on the application landscape, of course. Mm -hmm. But um, if I look at our numbers, we started with over 3,000 servers on premise just for Allianz Germany, for the German entity. Um, and now we are down to, I would say, maybe end of the year, mid next year to a double digit number of servers. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a huge progress that have been made. And, and we see all of the advantages. Money is one thing. We saw a stability increased. Uh, we saw the reduction of vulnerabilities, roughly 90% less vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. The, the time to market um, changed completely and we can super easily scale. Um, and just to give you two examples, what scaling means, I mean, we have over 130,000 employees and uh, when the pandemic started, it was relatively easy for us to equip this workforce with the necessary tools to work from home. So 90% of the people um, worked from home and that we could do that super quickly. But also if you look at Log4j, um, mm -hmm. I think an event that kept every CIO quite busy, um, we could patch our cloud-based application within six hours. Uh, and that, that is something that is really demonstrating that benefits do not come only with run rate savings, but also with other sometimes not always visible okay. benefits. Okay. And, and is your strategy to go really 100% cloud and, and, and how far are you today? So um, th th there will still be some, application, some applications that where it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. to run them um, on the cloud uh, due to various reasons. But the strategy is cloud first. So we actually challenge the teams always if they come with a non-cloud approach. Why is that the case? Is there a possibility? What would you need in order to migrate something to the cloud? And um, looking a bit also at the future, we're currently at 60, 70 percent. Uh, I think we will reach that kind of level of 80 to 90 percent um, end of next year. And then we really have to see, does it make sense to push further um, or not. Okay. Now you have also 
uh, developed a, a future cloud platform in your cloudification program. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I think the key here is always, I always look at from two angles. So there's the Allianz German entity where I was the, the CIO in the past and then Allianz Technology, which is providing now services to the entire group. And um, if you come from one operating entity, and you, you do something that is beneficial, the question is how can the rest also benefit from it? This is why Allianz Technology also builds this kind of standard cloud platform mm -hmm. where not each and every operating entity needs to reinvent the wheel. They just can build on it, it's standardized, um, it's a multi-cloud setup, it's a simplified technology stack, it's cloud-native open source technology that we use, software as a service, easy to start, easy to build, uh, you didn't need, don't need any, any engineer to install something, it's self-service. And that is why we built the common platform to enable really this cloud transformation on large scale. You cannot manage that centrally. You actually need the teams locally to go for it. And that means self-service and a standard platform. Yeah. Now, some say that the insurance industry is not the most uh, innovative uh, industry uh, in, in, let's say, in the financial world. Um, but you have, how, how would you compare your work with the, the other insurance, uh, big insurance uh, company, uh, companies around yourself. Is it possible to benchmark yourself in this cloud environment? So I'm, I'm in regularly in contact with my CIO colleagues here in, in Germany. We attend common events and we have roundtables and we, we chat with each other. Um, so there, there is, I have a bit of an understanding who sits where. And yeah. if I look at my KPIs, my own criteria, I would try to understand where the organization sits. There are a couple of things. I would look at how, how, what is the percentage of the organization working in an agile way? That's one KPI. Mm -hmm. the, the other one is, do you still run a mainframe? Uh, then how much of your footprint actually is public cloud and how much is still on premise? Yeah. The number of application, the, your body mass index, I like that a lot. So that is also something I would, I would look at. I would try to see how people collaborate with each other. Um, so those are kind of criteria, but then also, um, everything is, of course, about speed and agility. Mm -hmm. So in the future, it's not only about being able to deploy something. The question is just how long does it take? So I, I truly believe if you are a good organization and you come up with lots of innovation, the key KPI is how quickly can you deploy this kind of um, innovation and make it business relevant. Um, so if I look at those kind of KPIs and criteria, I think we are in, in a quite good position compared to my colleagues. I see some of them having still challenges in the one or the other direction. Yep. Um, and when I talk to them, they say, look, what you do is exactly the right thing. You do agile, you decommission, you go on cloud, um, you, you change the organization and so on. Uh, we also do that, but not everything in parallel. And I think that's a bit unique. We are really trying to address all of those topics at the same time. Okay. Now you were even awarded several um, a cloud native rockstar award. You were awarded CIO of the year uh, and, and so on. So uh, you've made big success uh, with, your, with your programs. Um, and, and you're also an active member in, in, in our CIO Net community, if I'm correct. Why is networking and a community really important for you? I think sometimes you have a problem, you don't know exactly how to tackle it mm -hmm. because everything is about experience. <laughs> I mean, if you do something the first time, you have an hypothesis when you go in and then you have a learning when you go out. Uh, sometimes you have to go through this kind of learning process yourself. Sometimes you don't have to. You can just ask some, some uh, colleagues. Yep. Um, 
I also use this in various other opportunities and other cases. So, for example, if, if I'm buying a new product and for me, three key features are relevant. I, I scan the product, look at the three key features. I ask two or three friends. Mm -hmm. They have totally different requirements and, and for, for them, other things are important. So after having talked to those two or three friends, I have more or less the complete list of criteria ready and then I can decide what is important for me. So therefore, networking is, is, is key and uh, we all solve common problems. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about your IT and digital organization. I mean, Allianz Group, 130,000 people. And, uh, I mean, that's a huge, big ship. And then in there is the engine, uh, Allianz Technology. So tell us a little bit more, how is Allianz Technology organized? So the idea is that we are the IT of our operating entity. So um, as I said before, we believe in a platform game. We believe in simple products and processes. If you have a simple product, a simple process, a common platform, it also makes sense to bring the IT organization together. In the past, we had the IT organization sitting in all of the countries. Now we have brought everybody under one roof. That's the Allianz Technology roof. We have roughly 15,000 IT experts around the globe. We are also in 20, 30 different countries where we provide services. Um, and that kind of workforce is one of the largest one with insurance-specific skills. Yep. It's not like only an IT organization. They also have um, insurance-specific skills. Um, and with this kind of approach, we are trying to also leverage knowledge that we have. I know in the, there's, a, there's a nice sentence, if Allianz would know what Allianz already knows, that, that would make a big difference. And we had that. We had solved lots of business problems and IT problems in some of the countries, but we didn't know. And now bringing those people together in one team, we really can tap into local talent. We can leverage uh, solutions. We have invented something called copy with pride. Mm -hmm. So it's not like reinvent everything. It's copy with pride. And copy with pride um, is something that makes a big difference because we can leverage what is already there. Okay. And so 15,000 IT experts are one of the, I can imagine, one of the largest IT or digital uh, groups in, uh, in Europe. What's your operating model? How do you, how do you structure uh, a big group like that to make sure that it's really successful? So the, the key thing in the operating model is the proximity to the business. So yes, we have an own IT organization, but what we don't want to be is we want to, don't want to be far away from the business. So the, 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 the operating model is more or less like agile. We work in, in tribes. We work in areas. We work in, in, in squads. We have chapters. So we try to work as integrated as possible. We try to have global business owner and global product owners and that own a certain um, uh, scope and then bring the IT people and the business people uh, together. And there's, of course, like in every big organization, there is a kind of call it line organization within Allianz Technology as well. But that's for me relatively boring. I'm much more burning for this kind of how can we actually collaborate with the business? How can we sit together in one room and, and, and create things? Yeah. So you have a, a, a still a country organization or, or more product organization yeah. and, and then central Central services like security and, and architecture and so on? Yes. So, so basically we have standard functions like there's a CEO function in Allianz Technology. There's a COO function for, for making sure that we operate in a, in a prominent way. But then there's a product organization as well. Yes, and there's a country split as well. So kind of a metrics organization. Okay. So you are simplifying. You're doing a huge program to simplify things um, and, and so that you can scale the company and be, uh, and, and be innovative. You are doing a major migration uh, already up to 70% uh, 
going into cloud uh, with, the, uh, with the goal to uh, get close to 100%. Um, another major domain I can imagine in a, in a big organization like yours is data. I mean, you're sitting on huge piles of data. You know a lot about your customers uh, and, and, and so on. So what is the strategy there? How do you help the business to become more data-driven? I think it starts with the, the first like a manifesto where you start to say, we want to be and become a data-driven organization. That means we want to take decisions based on data, um, but it also means we need to have the necessary tools for that. And tools means we need to have the necessary technology, the necessary organization, but also the necessary people. And if we look at the setup, um, it starts with technology. Um, we develop a so-called global data platform where we try to bring data pieces together mm -hmm. in a certain way that is still regulatory compliant. You cannot just mix up each and every data and bring everything into one big data lake um, where we have actually dashboards and we have possibilities to do real-time reporting and stuff like that. From an organizational perspective, we, um, we call it, we want to move from hippo to geek. So hippo is the highest paid person's opinion in the room. So the, the person uh, that normally takes the call and we want to come to a geek organization where actually somebody that has the data and the knowledge can start to decide. So it's not about the number of stars on your shoulder or the pay grade that decides who takes the decision, but more like who has the best information, the best data. So that means a culture of listening to experts. Um, and then on the people side, we also need, of course, to have the right skills available. Um, so that means data literacy is a big topic. So we, we, we try to educate as many as po people as possible to understand how to work with data, what kind of possibilities we have. Mm -hmm. We also create self-services. Um, and uh, with those self-services, people can actually look at certain data and use it for their uh, purpose um, and on a daily basis. Okay. Now I understand that you also have some some uh, uh, interesting uh, real-time dashboards with KPIs and so on. Can you talk a little bit about that and what technology that you use there? Yes. So um, when I started as a CIO here in Germany, I, um, I, I wanted always to find out how the situation is from an operations point of view. So one of my key themes is run pays the bill. So if run services are stable, um, then everything is good. I mean, we earn our money um, by providing proper services to the business and to our customers. And um, the, whenever we had an incident, the, the game is always who finds out first. Is it the customer telling us? Is it the employee telling us? Or does IT know um, at, at first? And that's, that's the challenge. So we invested significantly into, into monitoring. We actually monitor user journeys. We have a couple of thousands monitoring points and I have a big screen in my office where I see all of that. So if some of the application has a problem and it turns into red, I see the alarm, um, kind of a dashboard overview. Yep. And then I click on it and then I see who is the application owner and I give the colleague a call and ask him, so do you know that your application is down? What are you doing? Can you tell me something about it? So at the beginning, people were actually shocked about this because they didn't know at the beginning. So they thought, why does Axel know now that my application is down? I mean, he's an executive. He should not care about things like that. They understood what my idea behind that was. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the funny thing is that I saw after a couple of weeks and months, more and more monitoring 
um, in the offices. So not more or less everybody started to say, I need this kind of screen as well. Mm -hmm. I saw teams um, using a recipe to actually have a kind of a signal light that turns red if their application is down, that everybody in the room immediately saw that. And that made me a bit proud, like to say, I helped to speed up the process by me being like acting like an expert, understanding that something goes wrong, then calling the application owner. And I mean, it, it's not nice if your boss calls you and you don't know why your application is done and he knows more than you. And it really, in, in the end, it, it changed a lot. People were aware of it. They knew it. They already looked at the monitoring. So this kind of cultural behavior changed the organization, how we think about run. Yeah. You, you told me that it's Gloria is the name of these dashboard. Is that the internal project name or is that the technology? So this is the internal project okay. name. We use more or less two, two technologies. We use Grafana as an open source tool and then we use Dynatrace for a lot of our functionalities. Actually also AI based. So I'll give you an example. If Wednesday is a bank holiday, you don't want that your monitor turns completely red because there are no transactions from clerks because that should be normal. Nobody works on a bank holiday. Yep. And that is where also AI plays a big role. The system understands that this is not normal. Um, or this is normal depending on the day and then uh, alerts are of course significantly reduced. Yeah. Let's talk a bit more about your role as, as a CTO of the uh, Alliance Technology uh, and heading this, this army of 15,000 uh, IT experts. Uh, so how would you describe your fundamentally your role? What is it that you, uh, that, that you do? So I'm responsible for the IT delivery and the demand from our internal customers to make sure that we deliver what the business needs mm -hmm. and requires. That's the technology part of my job. And the transformation part means that we that drive exactly those kind of fundamental changes in the company, like decommissioning, loud cloudification, um, and also working heavily on becoming a tech company. So one of our key themes is Allianz Technology wants to become uh, a tech company. Uh, we are always humble, so we don't say we are already there, but we want to become a tech company and remain very attractive for IT talent. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is more or less the, the transformation part that I'm also heavily involved. And, and you call yourself Chief Technology and Transformation Officer and not CIO. Why? Why? What's the difference for you between a CTO and a CIO? So it's a bit, a bit of a difference, and I see that with many organizations now. Um, trying to reshape the role of a CIO anymore, mm -hmm. uh, a bit more. Um, it's more about that, that the technology piece and the transformation piece. It's not just information that you deal with. Um, so it's, it, it's a bit a different flavor. This is why we call ourselves CTOs. Okay. And, and if you, I mean, you've been in the business here for, for 20 years and longer. How have you seen the role of, of the CIO or the CTO change over the last five, 10 years? And how do you see it further evolve in the future? So there's a huge evolution of the role. Um, the role changed substantially. If I remember a couple of years ago, how everything was. And the past, the CIO was more responsible for a couple of applications, a lot of infrastructure. And now the CIO or CTO is more an enabler and a business driver. Innovation plays a key role. And um, I, I, would, I could describe it a bit when I look at the, the also the reporting lines and the circles and the setup. Mm -hmm. So if... It started with IT is just simply cost. So the reporting line is maybe to the CFO um, and what the dominant model was, let's, let's outsource stuff. Yep. It changed a bit when then said CIO reports to the COO. So there was more the, like the look at the return on investment and harmonize and rationalize a bit. 
Then the next evolution was when all of the CDOs popped up and that was more about um, the CIO is a partner or the CDO is a partner. It's about business value and we insourced IT again. And, and I think I see the future set up where the CTO, CIO is an enabler. Mm -hmm. It's all about speed innovation. IT is the business mm -hmm. and the reporting line is to the CTO as to the CEO and is maybe even part of the board. Okay, super. How would you describe, because I mean, you run this huge, I'm still amazed, 15,000 people. How do you describe your, would you describe your management style? How do you make sure that you build successful teams? Yeah. So um, first of all, I think you, you, you have to ask my team how they <laughs> judge my management style. But, but, but of course, I have a couple of core beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, for example, um, I'm, I'm completely agile influenced. So I truly believe in the agile methodology. Mm -hmm. That also means I believe in, I want to delegate authority to the lowest possible level. So it's not me taking all of the decisions um, that, that needs to be part of the team culture. I already mentioned the hippo and geek. Mm -hmm. um, so less hierarchy, more data-driven decisions. I truly believe in the famous two pizza teams. So if more than 15 people in the room, sitting in the room, it's not a good setup. You waste time um, and money and effort. Um, I truly believe in the culture of listen to your developers mm -hmm. so they can do a lot of stuff for you. Um, I think we need ambitious goals, but absolutely no micromanagement. And I believe in the future f work form of mob. That is something new. Maybe not everybody knows what a mob or what mobbing is, mm -hmm. but it's a pretty cool and interesting uh, working methodology and working style we are just experiencing with. So for those of you who are curious what a mob is, yes, please. <laughs> so m m mobbing is more or less um, five to six people work together. They all sit, I mean, virtually in one room or physically in one room. They share one device and they have different roles. So there's a navigator. Mm -hmm. This is the person who makes sure that um, everybody has contribution to the solution. Uh, everybody has similar um, input. Um, there is a driver and the driver is actually the person who works currently, let's assume a document. So the driver works on the document, mm -hmm. the navigator makes sure everybody is properly engaged. And then there are two to three people who are part of the mob who actually mob. They contribute not by speaking, but by writing, for example, use Miro by writing some of the sticky notes. Mm -hmm. So the driver works and can see what contribution comes from the rest of the team. The navigator makes sure that happens and the role switch switches every four minutes. So every four minutes, we do a rotation. Okay. So the driver becomes the navigator, the navigator becomes part of the mob. And this is very intensive. You do this for two or three hours, you take a break. And that means everybody knows everything. This is a common document. There's no alignment necessary. The end product is immediately visible. They work on a common thing, so you don't need to repolish everything. It's done. Everybody contributes and everybody learns. Um, and I truly believe in this kind of working methodology. We experiment with it and, and I'm, I totally fell in love with it. Okay, super interesting. Now, Axel, you have a, an, an interesting background. Eh? You, um, uh, you have a, uh, you're in a degree in business administration. Um, you have a research background, but then also you worked in commercial roles and, and, and you were, I would say, still a bit of a geek yourself, I can imagine. So how do you combine that? Where does this combination come from? 
Uh, it's a good question. So I, I'm, from a personality point of view, quite curious. Mm -hmm. um, and whenever there's something new, I'm, I'm uh, from a style perspective, a kind of a pioneer. I like to, to get things done. I try to look at new things, experiment with it. And that comes together. So um, whenever I have the, the, the time, I also try to code myself. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I try to use that as a tool to understand where technology goes and what we can do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so this is the kind of a personality where I'm, I think curiosity is one of my key themes. Okay. Now, if you would not have gone into this uh, IT career path, and, and if you think back to your younger self when you were 18 or 20, what was your dream back then? What, what would be, have been the alternative uh, career path uh, for you? Interesting question. So at a, th at a certain point in time, maybe 10 years ago, I thought I should have invented the selfie stick. <laughs> that, that would have been a quite good, um, uh, good idea. Mm -hmm. um, now, I mean, not too many people buy the selfie sticks anymore, but still maybe many, but uh, th that would have been an interesting idea. No, but I, I thought um, maybe something that I would have been interested in is staying in sports. I played, played tennis um, when I was younger. I would not say professionally, but but I spent lots of time with tennis, and I could have imagined to um, try to stay in this kind of sports management uh, area to maybe be um, the next Boris Becker then uh, somebody. Somebody organizes a tournament and whatever travels with players around the world, try to improve skills, become a good professional trainer, whatever okay. things like that. Very cool. Let's go back to uh, your uh, management style. Um, I mean. Huge organization, um, people watching these, uh, these videos, many of them have, are ambitious young professionals. Why would they join Allianz Technology? And, 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 and um, how do you make sure that you can attract the right people? So, um, first of all, we work with cool technology. Mm -hmm. That's for and a technology company, absolutely key. That would be my first pitch to them. Secondly, we have really implemented this kind of empowered employees. So it's not, as I said, all about hierarchy. Mm -hmm. uh, we work with an agile mindset. We work as an IT community. It's not like I don't like org charts and boxes and who reports into whom. It's like Italy, it's completely blended. Business is IT. You even don't know if this is an IT person or a business person. Mm -hmm. So that also means huge learning opportunities and, and opportunities to grow. Um, and then I think we have quite a modern modern mindset. Um, we do lots of stuff um, when it comes to um, environmental things. Uh, just recently we, we, we discussed, we do a lot of plastic fishing in India yeah. where we take plastic out of the rivers. We have our own boat um, on the ocean that, that does nothing else than just try to get plastic out of the ocean. Mm -hmm. um, so that is something where the company also creates a meaning for the employees. It's not only about RT and our insurance, it's also we have huge responsibility for, for our environment, but also for our kids. Yeah, and maybe for football as well then, or not? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's talk a little, I mean, we talked about management and growing and making your team successful. Let's talk a bit more about leadership because I think that's two completely different uh, things. How would you describe your leadership style? And could you maybe give an, uh, an example? So. A key thing for me is really the entrepreneurial thinking. Mm -hmm. um, people should be empowered uh, to think like an entrepreneur. So for me, all of the mini mobs are all entrepreneurs, are all CEOs and CIOs and mini companies. Um, so everybody should feel responsible for his tasks um, and, and should constantly think of how to improve the organization, not waiting for me or any of the leadership team to do that. 
I think we constantly need to change the ch challenge the status quo. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's not like we cannot change it. I always say we don't do stupid things. So if something is stupid, we just don't do it. So it, it does not make sense. So that empowers the people as well. Um, but also it, execution is key. So one of my sentences, that's the German saying, nothing good happens unless you do it. Nichts Gutes tut man, uh, passiert außer man tut es. Mm -hmm. um, and that means really execution counts um, and not the world-based analysis. Sometimes teams fall into this analysis paralysis where they, they analyze things forever and we still have not implemented something. So please focus on that as well. And I'm pushing that with my leadership style to try to make sure people deliver. Yeah. If I would come to your, your meetings and, and, and uh, go and talk to your people that you, uh, that you work with uh, in, in Allianz, what do you think that they would say about you when you are not around? How do you think you are perceived as a leader? I hope um, it's more than they would just say he's capable of writing code for his coffee machine. So one of my hobbies is my own coffee machine that actually uses IT to produce a coffee. So it's tickle code um, that, that, that I use to produce a coffee and I can emulate different various brands and types of coffees and everything like that. That's one of my hobbies. So but jokes aside, I think they understand and I hopefully would say that I'm really passionate about IT and software. Um, people feel that um, sometimes they are surprised of my level of understanding of some of the tech topics. Mm -hmm. um, but coming back to coffee, um, I, I proved my programming skills uh, when we had here one of our big projects where we had a cutover weekend in Easter where more than 1,000 people were involved. Um, over this weekend, big, big migration. And uh, what I did is I tried to help with my coffee skills. So I came here on site and did make coffee for the teams. Um, and I hope that, that this uh, kind of shows also that I'm trying not to sit somewhere in the ivory tower, but I would like to be approachable. Mm -hmm. I think people would say that, that I'm close to my employees, um, that they can always reach out to me. They feel empowered. Um, I can here give a strong book recommendation. I very much like the book Empowered by Marty Kagan, mm -hmm. which is uh, sometimes even <laughs> uh, can become a problem. If everybody reads it and they come in the morning in the office, I look, this is written in the book. This is what I want to do now. And this is what I'm empowered to. And this is what I should do. So, um, but, but it's really a great book recommendation for those organizations who think about empowering em employees. There's lots of learnings in there. Okay, let's talk a little bit more. Let's dive a little bit deeper. Uh, in your uh, personality, because I believe there's a strong link be between top digital leaders and the way that they think and how they're, uh, uh, how they're wired uh, and, and so on, and their personality especially. And you shared with us that your uh, MBTI personality type is INTJ, also known as an architect. And an INTJ is a person uh, with introverted, intuitive thinking and judging personality traits. And these are typically people that uh, are thoughtful tacticians that love perfecting the details of life, applying creativity and rationality to everything that they do, and their inner world is often a private and a complex one. How does that sound to you? Yes, I mean, there are some elements where I would uh, say that's a bit of me. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, I learned, if I remember correctly, that it's only 2% of the population are yeah, INTJ. It's so it's a not, not many CIOs a, are, are an architect. That's correct. Um, uh, something uh, that doesn't happen too often. So 
I'm fact-based, like you said. Um, I, I try to, to act data-driven. I try to really work with as many pragmatic solutions as possible. So I don't like the over-engineered, whatever perfect thing that, that leads to a long, long plan. Mm -hmm. um, I like to take the people actually with me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if I believe in something, I can be strong to take them with me. Um, and I like to also spread the word about my core beliefs, about simplicity, about an innovative IT company, about engineering culture. So that, that is a bit the, 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 the things that drive me and that also I try to, to leverage to, to take people with me on a certain journey. Okay, now an INTJ has the following strengths, uh, Axel. They are typically rational, they're informed, they're independent, they are determined, they're curious and versatile. I think that fits the bill. But let's look at the flip side and let's look at your development areas, your potential weaknesses. People with your personality type, they can be arrogant, they can be dismissive of emotions, they can be overly critical, sometimes combative and uh, romantically clueless. So where do you recognize yourself in these uh, weaknesses and how have you worked on that? How have you developed yourself in these uh, in these areas? I think it's about um, self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. Um, being humble is absolutely key um, in the industry, but also for for myself. So I, I'm I try not to be arrogant. I mean, it's always difficult to talk about, about <laughs> myself, or so others have to judge. But I think that is nothing um, that, that 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 I'm I'm doing. Also, the clueless thing, one of my key themes is content helps. So sometimes we discuss theoretical topics and then I say content helps. If we come to content, people understand much better what it does and then we come to good decisions. Mm -hmm. So the, the clueless, maybe not. Um, I think uh, competitiveness is definitely a topic um, and, and, and I would not see that as a negative thing, but um, it's about, um, I, I like to crack difficult problems. Mm -hmm. So if it's an easy one, it's a bit more boring for me. If it's a really challenging thing and yeah. there is where competitiveness plays a role, that's something I'm totally up for. You can sign me up for that. Yeah. Now, people with your profile typically have to develop themselves more on the relationship and the emotional side. And if you run a big organization, 15,000 people, you cannot be weak in relationships and, 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 and people and so on. So how have you developed yourself in that? Are there some examples of things that you did to, uh, to, to develop there? I think it's about um, value in recognizing that you are not alone in the world and that you want to work in a team. Mm -hmm. I mean, there can have separate sessions and formats. You sit in your office the entire day and you do your own stuff or you really work in a team. Just think of my future form of work, the mobbing, how to work in a mob. Um, you would sit lots of time of the day together with your five people mm -hmm. and you can, of course, also change them up. That, that is something where you automatically become part of the team and where there's some cohesion between the, the team members. So I would not say that I learned this, but I, I completely rely on my team, on, on employees, on experience, on skills. Also the fun part, I mean, being alone is nothing fun. I mean, having fun with people together is something that also drives me when I drive in the morning into the office. Um, it's not about I have time for myself to think about, so I, I want to be close to the employees. Yeah. Axel, do you, have, do you have a personal mantra and, and, and can you explain how you use it? Yeah, so I, I think it's a combination. Of course, everybody does something when it comes to sports. This is my tennis theme, but also I, I have this kind of theme that there's never been a better time to be a real nerd. Mm -hmm. Um, so during these days, being a real nerd is something that drives me as well and that, that, that supports me and gives me also 
some kind of relief because I think about totally different things. Uh, just we were cracking a problem of how to do auto tearing on a scale. So the coffee machine, for example, has a scale, mm -hmm. Bluetooth scale that we use and uh, you want to actually weigh your coffee. So how much gram of coffee you get um, out, of, uh, out of your machine. And th th there's a challenge how to do this tearing mechanism. If you put your cup on the on the scale and you forget to tear then the whole exercise doesn't work because it's completely wrong so those kind of things move me away from my daily um uh, daily stress that i have sometimes of course um and, and therefore that the nerd component is something like a like a mantra you have two children a girl of nine a boy of 12 what are the values that you are passing on to your children and what are your core values yeah so Trying to find a way how to um, make sure that my kids have the right values is a, is a super important task for, from, from my point of view for parents. Um, now the question is which ones are the right ones? So um, I, I have observed different school systems when I lived in the US and here in Germany. I'm constantly thinking about this education piece a lot. The question is, what kind of education do my kids need in order to be successful in the future? Mm -hmm. I, I see that a lot with, with young employees joining the company with all of the uh, IT transformations. But the question is, are they in a good position? And if I look at the learning methods in the 20th century, um, but also unfortunately now in many, many schools, it's still obedience. Mm -hmm. So um, <laughs> it's, it's less of, uh, of uh, creativity. It's more like memorizing things um, and that is from my point of view very sad to see because memorizing is not a skill that you need in the times of google and internet and everything you need to have totally different skills from my point of view um, curiosity will be a key skill perseverance is something that is super important to teach to kids um, and then the last block and component is something that is difficult that is empathy mm -hmm. And really social emotional skills. If you are part of a mob, you need to have also empathy and social emotional skills. That is something that is rarely worked on in, at schools, sometimes in universities. But the, the problem is still that you have one teacher in the front, 30 kids there, and there's this kind of ex, not even exchange. Something is just somebody sends and the others receive. This is not the way how you would learn empathy and social emotional skills. So I'm not super happy with the school system. Yeah. Now, you lived with your family four years in Silicon Valley, uh, and then you came back to Germany. So you can compare the two cultures, I think, very well. So what is it that yes. you think in Europe we can, we can learn from, from Silicon Valley, except maybe giving a more playful and creative school system? I, if I could, I would, I would change the school system in a way that we work much more in projects. Mm -hmm. I truly believe in, in a project culture also in school. I'll give you an example. Um, here in, in some of the countries, we would simply start to memorize certain things like what is the plant, what are vegetables, how many vegetables exist, how are they called and so on. In a project mode, it's like you learn what a vegetable is. You go to a market, you shop it, you learn how much it costs, how it looks like, how it tastes. You go to the kitchen, you cook a meal, you use vegetables. You later create a name for the meal. You actually try to sell this meal. You think of the nutrition. You create a marketing concept. You build a web page. So that's a kind of a project-based learning. We don't do that. We have this kind of, these are the facts about vegetables. Dear kids, please learn it. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something I would like to change. I saw a lot more in the US, much more presentation, much more interactive learning. 
just by looking at a classroom, I can tell you if I like the school or not. Okay. If it's like, yeah, teacher and 30 chairs, um, not so. That they, I also don't work like this in the company. If you would see the room here, it, it looks more, more like a living room, but it's actually a, a company a place where people start and solve business problems. In your life, are there important mentors, people that you look, look up to, that you have learned from? And could you maybe give an example? Yes. So one of my superstars is Steph Curry. I'm, uh, I like to watch basketball a lot. <laughs> Um, first of all, he's the best talented, most gifted three-point shooter on the planet. That's one cool thing. But also he's 34. Um, he's an investor and, and he does lots of charity work. Mm -hmm. So he really gives back to the community, which is something that I find really cool. I miss that in many other sports uh, that, that people really do that. He's heavily doing that. Um, but he's a superstar, um, but he doesn't behave like one. That's what I like a lot. So he's really it's totally down to earth. Um, and there were parts of the season this year where he um, wasn't even a starter. He came from the bench because he was injured and everybody said, once he's back, he will immediately start. He said, no, I start from the bench. And it just sent a super strong signal to the rest of the team. So if Steph Curry can come from the bench, everybody can do that. And that's the way how he's super humble, very team oriented and then really absolutely great personality. So um, this is one of the persons. Then, of course, Elon Musk in, <laughs> is some, somebody I also closely follow. I very much like this first principle thinking. And the number of revolutions that he has just kicked off is so amazing. I mean, he will just now also start to revolutionize the mobile uh, industry um, when we look at uh, the, the, the way how, how they cooperate with uh, mobile service providers. There was really nearly no innovation the last couple of years with 3G, 4G, 5G, mm -hmm. but not, not a lot of innovation. Now, if, if we find a way how we can use a mobile phone everywhere on the planet and there is no problem with reception and there is no cell tower coverage in areas where there is no reception, if that is possible, that will simply revolutionize um, many of the processes and, 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 and daily experiences because having access to internet will change many um, many things and uh, therefore th this revolution can be can be huge so let's see what Starlink does here. Yeah. Let's go back for a moment to your professional career. I mean you made quite a career uh, I would say and and, uh, and you've made um, quite a number of successes but I'm sure that you also had your failures and, and things that didn't work out uh, like you want. So Axel would you be prepared to maybe share one of your most brilliant failures in your career and, and what you learned from it? Absolutely. So um, I think failure, first of all, is a huge opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. And I think every crisis is a huge opportunity to learn. And of course, I have um, I make many mistakes, by the way. I make mistakes every day and I also talk openly about that. I think that's also something that is really important. Um, the, the key thing is not only the failure. The key thing is what do you take away from it? And I have learned a couple of things from those failures. Can be projects, can be things in private life where I lost something, I forgot something, I lost uh, many things in the past uh, and, and I learned from it. And the, the, the thing um, that I learned is, is the following. First of all, um, now looking at the company uh, environment, never cut corners, learning number one. Learning number two, your ego is very often your biggest enemy. Always keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. And last but not least, whenever you work, earn more than you cost. It's a big, big 
sentence. Mm -hmm. Sounds easy, but um, keep that in mind. And that were some of those key learnings that I try to apply on a daily basis. Okay. Back to your private life. What would you describe as the best thing that has ever happened to you? I don't know. It's a good question. Um, but if I forget the company environment for a second, it's really um, when uh, my, my kids were born. So my first one, I still remember that day. Um, that was, I think, the best life day of changing, my life. Life-changing, eh? yeah, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And then, of course, the next one is getting to know my wife. <laughs> when I remember when I accidentally stepped on her toe during a party at the university. This is the way how I got to know her um, during my PhD. Um, and uh, yeah, from a work perspective, um, one of the things that I still remember and I'm super happy and proud of is that we migrated away from the mainframe mm -hmm. this year. So um, we don't run our car insurance system on the mainframe anymore, which is one of the few insurance companies that, that do that. Yeah. Now, also, personal life is not always uh, sunshine. And, and we also, everybody has their, uh, the bad things that happen to, uh, to them. So would you care to share maybe one of the worst things that has ever happened in your life and what you learned from it? How did uh, you overcome that? Yeah, so um, actually, it's a difficult question. Um, I don't have a single moment where I can think of that was the, the, the worst uh, day of my life or the worst thing that happened to me. And maybe there's a reason because I'm normally quite optimistic. So even if something is not going that well, I try immediately to see the glass half full, not half empty. Um, and I think events where something doesn't go according to plan also is a lot of training for your resilience muscle. So there's this famous book, Option B, from Sheryl Sandberg, uh, which was written in a kind of a sad context when her husband uh, passed away and she tried to explain her thoughts and her feelings and what she took away from it. Mm -hmm. um, and I also um, learned from this book that training the resilience muscle is something that is super important. So when something does not go well or there's really a bad thing, I try to use that as an opportunity to train my muscle. Okay, super. Axel, in your life, what is it that you fear most? What are you most afraid of? And what is it that you love most? So fear most um, in times like, like, um, like today, these times, it's really the recent developments when I look at the, the war in, in Ukraine. Um, the reason why this is close to me is because we have taken... Um, um, a mother and two kids with us, refugees in our house. They live since March uh, with us. And I learned a lot about their culture, their thoughts, their beliefs, their fear. And it, this is not only affecting business or economy. This is affecting, first of all, democracy, but also affecting my children's life, their future. And, and just to see um, how tough it is for a family, for a mother with two kids to be separated from the husband, for that amount of time and not knowing how the next day will look like is something that, that really created also some fear mm -hmm. um, on my side. Um, things that I love is really if something is easy and smooth and that gives me that kind of perfect experience. So for example, if I search something, I find it properly. I don't need a password anymore. 
I just use different two-factor authentication or just, I mean, recently at the airport, it's so convenient now that I don't need a boarding pass anymore. I can check in um, and go through the gate just with my face. I just stand there for two seconds. The door opens. I can uh, do the check-in digitally. So no boarding pass anymore. It's really those kind of things, sneaky, cool solutions that make my life a lot easier, that save time and, and make things convenient. That's what I love. Yeah. These videos, these leadership deep dive videos, uh, Axel, are watched by thousands and uh, thousands of professionals around the globe. And some of them are young, ambitious um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, girls and boys that want to follow in your footsteps. What is the advice that you would give to younger future digital leaders? So the, the first thing that is really important is try to connect with leaders, with colleagues, and make sure that you have a constant learning experience. Mm -hmm. As soon as start to separate yourself, you miss a lot of opportunities. So exchange with others. Um, secondly, never stop being curious. Always think outside the box, like my don't do stupid things. Even if it's the process that foresees that, just don't do it. Mm -hmm. Listen to customers is super important. I mean, it's not like IT or somebody else has a brilliant idea and just does this on its own. And then last but not least, um, the most important thing, apply to be part of this Allianz technology team. Mm -hmm. And on that note, Axel, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. It was uh, really a pleasure to have this brilliant conversation. I look forward to, um, to meeting you soon somewhere in the beautiful Munich. Thank you so much. Thank you, Henrik, for your time. Have a great day.